0: Hey, welcome, everybody. My name is Christian. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light, and I'm, I'm hoping that we have some new people here, some new faces, and we just want to give you a special welcome. Um, I know that we've been encouraging our, our people of, at City Light to invite their friends and family to this series, and we've had a mailer out there, so maybe you've heard about it through that or online, um, and we're really excited that you're here. I hope that we have people in the room who have questions and who are wondering and who are searching. We're going to be going through these five problems. Uh, Jonathan and I have read this book. I'd encourage you to grab this book and read it. Um, not before I teach, though, because I basically just steal everything from him. So, um, but no, this is, this is a very uh, interesting book. It's a very challenging book. And so we're going to be teaching. He does ten of the most common problems that get between people in faith or people in God. And so we're going to be talking about these five over the next five weeks. We're actually contemplating throwing on a sixth one because there's, there's a couple topics that we are feeling bad that we didn't do. So we'll see what happens, but we're definitely doing these five. And so we're hoping that in the room today and over the course of the next month, um, we're, you know, we're going to have people who are saying, you know what, I grew up in a family that went to church, but um, I saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church or in my family, and so I haven't been to church in a number of years. You know, maybe that's you, or, or maybe um, maybe you went through a crisis in your life, and you just couldn't square a good God, an all-powerful God, with the evil and the suffering that you've seen. You know, maybe that's you today, or or maybe maybe you're someone who, you know, you've been in church, but honestly, you're three questions away from losing your faith. You know, you you're, you're feel a little bit shaky, you feel a little bit like... Um, you know i don't i don't want to think too deeply or i don't want to be challenged with too strong of a question because you know all i've really got is i just believe and and is that all there is and so you know i hope that we have that in the room and you know we say this all the time there's room for you at city light um, and, and even, you know, if I don't convince you with my incredible speaking ability today um, and the rest of the month, you're still welcome to stay with us. We believe in building a community where people belong and where we make a difference in the community that we live in. And so, um, you know, I don't think faith is is a one-time thing, stake-in-the-ground decision. I think most of the time it's a journey. And you're going to discover more and more about yourself and God as you go on that journey. And one of the best ways to go on that journey is with other people of faith. So, like, seriously, we just are so happy that you're here. Um, these are what we're going to be doing. And I want to start it with, um, I was reading this article this week. Um, I do, like, the Apple Newsfeed thing on my phone. And uh, I get these, does anybody read stuff from Buzzsprout? No. Buzzsprout's not the right word, is it? Buzz feed buzzsprout is the is the service we use for our podcast that i'm not just making it up buzzfeed yeah so those are like you know the really in-depth hard-hitting news articles that i read um and so i read one that talked about lies that our parents tell us and i and i was like yeah my parents told me all of these so let, can you can you jump on board with any of these lies anybody get this lie it's impossible to drive a car with any interior lights on Any parents say that to you? You're going to get arrested. We're going to die. We're going to get into an accident. Actually, um, I was driving a teenager around years ago, and he looked over at me because I was driving with a light on, and he was like, is that really hard to do? No, it's not. Um, If you shower, I actually still believe this one, to be honest, so I need someone to tell me if this is true or not. If you shower during a thunderstorm, you might be electrocuted. I don't understand it, right, we don't, do, if it hits your house, could it go through the water, is anyone smart here, it's true, somebody, say, is it true, yeah, know, like, 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 yeah. all right, oh man, I've been living on the edge, <laughs> okay, I'm a risk taker, all right, uh, if you swallow your gum, it will stay in your stomach forever, yeah, who heard that one when they were growing up, absolutely, at some point I was like, there's going to be a lot of gum in my stomach. All right. Uh, you have to wait an hour after you eat to swim. We've all been told that right now. I'm sure there's a little bit of truth to that, but I've tried it and I didn't die. Um, this is my favorite one. And I was terrified of this when I was a kid. If you take the tags off your pillow or mattress, the FBI will hunt you down. Have you ever read those tags, right? It's a little bit scary. Yeah. Okay. Do I have another one? No. Okay. So here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff that we're told as kids and that we believe as kids that when we grow up, we grow out of. And so is God one of those things? Is religion something we're told as kids to get us to behave, right? To give us a context for morality and right and wrong. Is it something that we should grow out of when we get older? Many of you might be sitting here saying, yeah, I believed in God until I went to college. You know, and then as I got hit with learning and questions and deeper thinking, you know, I, I, I grew up. Or you, many of you might be saying, you know, I believed in God until I started thinking, <laughs> right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like we want to have a respectful conversation of people all over the spectrum with people. Not uh, We're not talking about you. With people all over the spectrum today. And so, you know, if you are atheist, agnostic, Christian, whatever, maybe even from a different religion, um, you know, what I share today, I just hope that you hear it in the spirit of, of love and, and respectful conversation. Um, and I'll only make fun of um, you a couple times. So the first one we're going to tackle is the problem of God's existence. And, um... The question we should be asking is, is there evidence? That's what people want to know. I don't know if you remember the alpha video we showed a couple weeks ago, but the guy behind the counter with the slightly annoying voice, anybody remember that guy? Um, he, he, you know, he was just saying you can't prove it. And so is that true? And actually, there are, have been philosophers and thinkers and theologians for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years who have believed there is evidence for the existence of God. It's kind of like if you are on a jury in a court, you aren't seeing the crime, but you're asked to make an, an educated decision based on evidence that is presented to you. So, like, I might not be able to materialize Jesus Christ right here on stage, but we have evidence, and there's actually a lot of evidence, that if we give it an honest thinking, I think the easiest, most rational, most logical explanation is that there is God. So we're going to tackle three of them today, and I want to challenge you to follow where the evidence leads, not where you hope it leads. And I would say this to Christians, too. Here's the thing. So when I was in college, um, just to give you a little bit of my story, uh, I was raised Christian. I was born into a, a home that, you know, believed in Christianity, went to church and stuff like that, and then um, when I was college, or when I was college, when I got older, I went to college, University of Delaware, actually, and, um, and you know, I was... I was always fascinated by defending what I believe in. And what I mean is, like, there were Christians in my high school growing up who would get belligerent if you challenged anything in the Bible or anything in faith, and and defensive and angry. And, you know, I just didn't want to be like that. And I I kind of felt like if I can't explain it and defend it, what right do I have believing it? And even more so, telling other people to believe it. And so um, in college, I decided to minor in philosophy— And to study uh, as deeply as I could in college all of the world religions and just really explore what the the world of faith had to offer. And it was so interesting because I can remember being in my apartment and, and having a time, you know, I have time, try to have time every day where I read the Bible. And I was reading the Bible thinking, why am I reading this thing again? Like this, this is just an old book that I've decided to read over and over and over again. And, you know, there's other religions that have old books too. And what's the difference? And I went through a season of my life where I, I feel like I really took a more rational, logical approach. And for me, what ended up happening was the more that I looked at the evidence, and I can share with you some books that I read that really affected my I mean there's there's a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. He was an atheist who uh, his wife got uh, found Jesus and became a Christian, and and he thought, oh crap. And so he thought, like, this is gonna ruin our my life and he, he took a year off of work, though, because what he saw with his wife, is his wife became a better and better person. And so he took a year off of work and investigated the claims of Christianity, and, and his investigation led him to become a Christian. Now he's a pastor, and he writes books. So The Case for Christ, you should read it. But I remember reading that book and thinking, oh, my gosh, I should be a Christian. Like, this makes total sense. Um, so I would challenge you, whether you're a Christian or not, as we look at evidence this week and the weeks to come, follow where the evidence leads you not where you hope that it leads you or not where you've thought that it led you before. Like, let's have open minds. As Christians, we should know that there is evidence for what we believe and not just a blind leap of faith. Um, I also should say real quickly, if it's your first time at City Light, this is not... Normally, what happens up here? <laughs> so you might be like, "Wow, that church is just like super intellectual," and like we're not. Um, uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, I, I am what I am. So uh, you know, I think that our general is we try to preach. Uh, something helpful each Sunday, right? That can help you become a better person and do life better and follow Jesus. Um, that's our MO. We're not gonna be doing that as much. So this is more of a philosophical, intellectual stuff for the next four weeks. Some of you are gonna love that and some of you are gonna need an extra cup of coffee before you come in. So um, I'm gonna talk about three evidences today, all right? And there's more. And, uh, you know, and there's argument all around this and I would love to open up debate not here, because uh, that would get messy. But if you have questions based on what I say, please email me this week. I would love to talk more in depth about these things. So the first evidence is the evidence of morality. And, and I saw this um, in action this week. So I went to Maine this week for a meeting, and I, on the flight home, um, I was sitting next to some stranger. We actually became friends and talked a whole bunch, which I usually, my rule is do not talk to people, because um, I want to work. But I, he and I talked about sports for an hour, so it was good. And you know, what happens, like, when you're on a plane, um, and you stop, and it's time to get off, first of all, don't you love to make fun of the people who stand up early, and they're like, and, and, and you're like, the door's not even open, you know, like, just sit down, but they have to, like, they feel like we have to stand, and so, but what do you do, like, you wait your turn, right, I mean, it's simple kindergarten rules, And and, and I was sitting with this guy, and we were waiting to stand up, and we saw the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in an airplane. The people behind us sidled up the aisle past our seat. And I looked at the guy, and he looked at me, and we're like, what is going on? This is injustice, you know? And I said, hey, you're an athlete. You're going to have to throw some elbows because we're not sitting here for the rest of the plane, you know? And then, but the first person went and emboldened the second person, so then another person stood, and we're like, what is going on? So we just kind of like got up and got in there. But like, we know that there's right and wrong. And that's this point. Like, you know, li- li- there's some simple things, right? Like, that we say all the time, or we said when we were kids, but we still believe as adults, like, hey, you promised. We used to say that when we were kids. Why does that matter? Who cares? Right, if there's no, if there's no, why do we think that promises should be kept? Why do we think that there's, you, sh- you know, hey, I was here first, Who cares? Why do we think that that's important? Why do we think we should treat each other kindly? Where does morality come from? There's this innate sense of right and wrong, where most of us in the world could look at something and say that is wrong. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule, and we can talk about how that's actually a proof. Like, just because someone takes a math test and gets things wrong on the math test, does that mean that math doesn't exist? No, it means that they're bad at math, right? So there are people and there are cultures who don't live according to what we would all agree is morality. But that doesn't disprove the fact that there's an innate sense of right and wrong. Now, skeptics and atheists will often try to argue with this in two ways, and I think that they're worth thinking about. So the first question that we should ask is, well, maybe morality is relative. Morality for you is not morality for me. What I think is right, I can have my own thing, and you can have your own thing, and we're all okay. In fact, this is super popular in America. You believe what you want, I'll believe what I want. But the problem is this breaks apart practically and logically if you follow it down the road for very long. Let's make it a very extreme example. And let's say that we traveled to a culture where, um, where you know, whatever. I mean, this is getting really extreme, but where like, you know, eating people was okay. All right? Cannibalism. And let's say they grabbed your loved one and they were like, hey, we're hungry. And so, you know, they, they ate your loved one. Now listen, according to this, you should be fine with that because their culture is different than yours. But all of us would sit around and say murder and cannibalism is wrong. I doubt if we took a survey, we would have a whole lot of discrepancy in that. Is it based on your culture? Is it based on relativism? See, I think that as you follow that down uh, the logical path, that starts to fall apart. All right, the other question that we have is, well, does it come from evolution? So maybe we've evolved this moral code that each of us kind of knows. Maybe we've evolved it um, to, for the betterment of the species, right? The survival of the fittest. And so think about this. This is another one that it, it makes sense in its face value, but if you follow it too far, it actually gets kind of scary. So if morality came from evolution, first of all, what doesn't make sense, because what, um, what a lot of uh, skeptics would say is that we've evolved the, the altruism around each other, all right, to take care of ourselves, and that if we want to be good to our kids, it's, in the end, it's going to take care of us. So here are two things that we should talk about, altruism and eugenics. Are you guys having fun yet? <laughs> no one's ever coming back. Next week, this would be like zero people here. Um, so the, the idea behind altruism is that, is that why should we be good to people who don't benefit us if morality came from evolution, which is about the survival of the fittest, which is about natural selection. We all understand that, right? We all learned that in school. I don't have to explain that, please, okay? So th- this would make sense if it was true I only took care of the people in my close circle. But you know, we see in our culture today such an incredible and good thing that we want to take care of people all over the world. We want to care for people who are less fortunate than us. We want to do things about injustice, don't we? About, and it doesn't matter if it's in your family. How does that develop? Where does that come from if it's a natural selection thing? How do we care? In fact, um, if you read like Timothy Keller and some other writers, they will argue that that makes no sense at all for natural selection, that we should want those who are suffering in the world to continue to suffer because it will weed out the weak so that the strong can survive. And that takes you to the next thing is eugenics. If, do you know what eugenics is? Eugenics is, you know, basically what Hitler did. You know, we're going to decide what is worth uh, living on earth and what is not worth living on earth. And this is where this natural selection leads. Okay? So a lot of the thinkers of, uh, you know, of kind of the enlightenment and the scientism, the scientific movement— um, thought this way in the early 1900s. Listen to this quote. Man scans with scrupulous care the character and pedigree of his horses, cattle, dogs before he matches them. What he's saying is, look, before you buy a car, you do your research, right? Okay, he didn't actually say that, but I'm making it make sense to us. But when he comes to his own marriage, he rarely or never takes any such care. Both sexes ought to refrain from marriage if they are in any way, um, if they are in any marked degree... That obviously did not copy from my notes correctly. There's a word missing, deficient. So if they're any marked degree, deficient. So the, his saying is like, you don't go around and just pick the first car, even if it looks like it's broken down. You look at all the cars, you pick the best car. Same thing, if you're gonna get married, you shouldn't get married to someone who is in any way mentally or physically deficient. In fact, we shouldn't allow them to get married because they're gonna bring the whole human race down. Who wrote that? Charles Darwin. Not surprising, right? Right. You follow the natural selection theory of morality to its uh, natural conclusion, and it leads to us wanting to weed out the weak in favor of the strong. And, you know, you guys all know where this is going, right? This is this is Hitler. If nature does not wish that weaker individuals should mate with the stronger, she wishes even less that a superior race should intermingle with an inferior one because in such cases, all her efforts throughout hundreds of thousands of years to establish an evolutionary higher stage of being may thus be rendered futile. He who does not wish to fight in this world where permanent struggle is the law of life has not the right to exist. This is scary. This was not just a couple people. They had three eugenics councils in the 1920s. One of them was in America, in New York. And they were seriously talking about um, uh, who you would allow to have kids based on this theory. So is this where morality comes from? Did we just evolve to have this? Or I think we need to ask what many people, what many thinkers for hundreds of years have said is that there is a moral law giver, that there is someone, and see, this is what Christianity has been teaching from the beginning. This is what the Bible teaches from the beginning. Here's one example. Paul is writing, who wrote much of the New Testament. He says, listen, For when Gentiles, these were people who didn't have the Jewish law at the time, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. The point being that there is a moral code that we all innately get from God, whether you believe in God or not. Where does that sense of right and wrong, and again, there's finer points that we can debate, and that we could disagree on, but you, I think we can agree, there are some things that are right, and there are some things that are always wrong. How do we know that? Where did it come from? There has to be an explanation, so that's one evidence that you will see people talk to. So where does that evidence lead you? Second evidence. You guys okay? So here's the, here's the secret. I love this stuff, so I can talk up here all day long, and I'm, I, I, you know, I hope that you guys Whatever. Okay. I guess I don't care. So the evidence of cosmology is the second one. All right. And, and the evidence of cosmology is we're going to look at, we're going to look at nature and we're going to see that there's some evidences in nature. And one of the big ones we have to think about is something that we can all agree upon. Science agrees upon this. Philosophers agree upon this. Theologians agree upon this. Everything that exists comes from something that pre-existed it. Right, that's just like a basic tenet of logic that we all understand. Like, where did you come from? Well, your parents had, a, had a, a nice date night. You know, some candlelight. Things went well. You know, we won't go any further with that. But, you know, you know where you came from. Where did this building come from? It, did, it didn't just randomly appear. Like, there was a plan. There was a designer. There were workers. This was built. Things don't come from nothing. They must come from something. And so, where did the universe come from? I mean, these are big questions that most of us don't think about because we're too busy trying to get our kids to stop fighting. But they are questions that exist. Where did the universe come from? Have you ever thought about that? How did we get here? What's the best explanation that you can think of? And so um, for many, many years, skeptics' answer was the universe came from the universe. The thing that preexisted us is the universe. It has always existed. Until 1929, when this guy named Hubble made this big telescope and found out what? The universe actually had a beginning. Now, for for many, many years, scientists fought back against that because they did not want to, because they they knew if the universe had a beginning, now we have to find something else that came before it. And what's really interesting, when I was growing up, Christians really resisted this too. And we really thought the Big Bang Theory was was horrible news for Christians. But actually, it's exactly what the Bible's been saying. There was a beginning. I don't know if you've read the Bible before, but the first three words were, in the beginning. There was a beginning, and God was there before that and started it. Now, we can disagree forever and ever about how that exactly happened and all that. But, you know, some 15 billion years ago, something started. How did it start? If it didn't come from the universe, how did it start? Skeptics are still coming up with other answers. And, and, and one of their answers is, what came before the universe? Nothing. And, and, and that seems like not, not a great answer, to be honest. Like, nothing seems like not as logical as a c- conclusion as something. So this is Francis Collins. He mapped the human genome, which means he's smart. That's all it means, okay? The Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation, he says. It forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. I cannot see how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done that. Think about this. Where did matter come from? If matter had a beginning, and doesn't it make sense that a mind, a designer, a person created matter where we're forced to do is that is this what mark mark clark the guy who wrote the book says if you if you want to agree that nothing the universe came from nothing you have to agree with this statement that nobody times nothing equals everything which one's a greater leap this is why we're saying follow where the evidence leads you not where you hope that it leads you and see the bible talks about this again in romans this is paul talking, he says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, this is actually one of my favorite personal verses, his invisible qualities, the things that you can't figure out and can't see, his eternal power, his divine nature, right, have been seen. I think he's writing it that way on purpose to catch our attention, to put us in tension. Wait, the things we can't see can be seen. Being understood from what has been made, So the people are without excuse. He's saying from the beginning, you could tell that God existed by looking around at his creation. Where did the universe come from? What's the most logical explanation? And oh my gosh, there's so much more to say about that point. But church ends in 10 minutes. All right. The last one is the evidence of design, and this one, this one is uh, is one of my favorites. So when I was in college, um, I did a my major was like a mix between psychology and sociology with a philosophy minor. I like to write and read, apparently, because all three of those demanded me to do a lot of that. Um, and I remember being in psychology class, my psychology 101, and they were talking about the brain. Just just show of hands. Has anybody ever studied the brain? Okay, I I am hard pressed to study just the brain. Now, there's so many ways that we could find evidence for a designer in biology and chemistry and physics, but I'm just talking about the brain. Think about this. There are electrical impulses that fire up to 50 times per second across these synapses. Each neuron can form thousands of connections with other neurons, creating up to a 1,000 trillion, that's a lot, guys, Just, I don't know if you're not, if you're not mathematically astute, that just, it's a lot. It's more than you can imagine. Can you imagine a thousand trillion synapses firing 50 times per second? That's if you multiply those together, you get a really big number, but you can't feel that happening. Can you, I mean, you're not like, you know, like, whoa, right? But that's like happening. How did that come to be? An amoeba is a single-cell organism, and in its DNA, there are. Th- I wanted to bring 30 encyclopedias, but the only person I know who owns encyclopedias anymore is my dad, and I felt bad asking him to bring them. But does anybody remember encyclopedias? Yeah? That, there was a day when every house had them. I don't know if you know that. But 30 encyclopedias, it, all of that would be the DNA code from one single-cell amoeba. If you wrote it out, One. Francis uh, Collins, I think it was his name, the guy, the genome guy, you know, the smart guy we talked about, he said that that is the language of God. Now, think about how many more are in us. Everything has it. Everywhere you look has it. It's incredible what God has designed. Now, listen to this. You can look in, like we just did, and you can also look out. We're talking about a designer. The chances of our universe coming into existence are that number that no one can ever think about. All right, that is a huge number. To put it into perspective, a much smaller number is the number of atoms in the entire universe. Now, not the world, the universe. Can you wrap your head around that? Like we're talking about the universe. I don't even know what it means, but it seems amazing, right? All the planets, all the stars, all the random. Did you see that rock that they found this week? Everybody see that? That floating rock that looks like, a, uh, like two paddles got stuck together. I love that kind of stuff. So One person knows what I'm talking about. Two people? Yes. Okay. And it's spinning. All right. Cool. It's amazing. We launched this thing like years ago and it's still taking pictures. Anyway, the chances of the universe coming into existence are mathematically, they demand you to ask the question, who? Who did this? How could this happen? Listen to this. If the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in 100,000 million millionths, small, the universe would have recollapsed before it ever reached its present size. Guys, this is just one example. I read this thing about how the sun and the earth are this exact distance from each other, and if either of them moved by something very small, we'd either burn, or freeze to death. We're, we're really lucky. <laughs> the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. They are mathematically almost impossible. It demands for us to ask the question, I think there are religious implications. That was Stephen Hawkins. He's probably not too happy that he said that. Alternate explanations that skeptics have come up with are the lucky us theory and the multiverse theory. I'm not making fun of people because here's the thing. Often we want to be able to explain it because we don't want to be forced to look at God. Lucky us is, is, can you explain this number here? No. We just got really lucky. And, And they'll say things like, yeah, it's like sitting down at a poker table and getting a royal flush. Like, it happens. It's like, no, but for this kind of thing, it would be like, every time you sat down, you got a royal flush from here for eternity. Every time. I mean, and that's not even big enough. We're talking monumentally impossible for this to have happened. There's also the multiverse, which is interesting, especially if you saw Spider-Man recently. Anybody? I saw it this week, which then as I was reading, I was like, oh, wow. Spider Man's onto something, you know? The meaning of the universe, you never knew you'd get that during a cartoon. Um, so, the multiverse theory is that, you know, yes, this is really improbable, but if there's an innumerable amount of universes all doing this, all, eventually one of them's gonna work. That is mathematically possible, but it's totally impossible to prove that. And so, we're asking people to make what I would argue is a bigger leap of faith than just addressing the evidence. Of maybe there's a mind that came before the matter, that had a plan, that we see the design. I mean, this is there's like discussions that I don't have time to go into, but like, where did things like love come from? Where did things like wisdom come from? What about beauty? Those are those are intangible things that we all know and feel. Where did they come from? Mark Clark closes out this chapter. He says, Ironically, in the end, atheism asks us to believe in an infinite number of metaphysical realities for which we have no evidence, while Christianity asks us to believe in one, God, for which we do actually have evidence. So, maybe you're a Christian. I'm hoping that some of these thoughts have been like, oh yeah, that makes some sense. Listen, as Christians, we can't... All right. So when I was in college in these philosophy classes, can I just tell you, without being mean to people... There's just some really mean Christians in the world. And and I hated, like, I felt like my job in those philosophy classes was to be the only Christian who made any sense. That was like my job. I wore it as a sign. I am the Christian who makes sense. I will not freak out when you ask a question about God. I will not get angry, and I will not throw out Bible verses at you because you don't believe in the Bible. I love those people like Jesus loves them. I do. I do. But we would have these, have these debates in philosophy class, world religions. We'd talk about death. We'd talk about the afterlife. And these Christians would get all flustered and angry and throwing these things out. Because they had never thought deeply. As Christians, we need to think deeply. Paul says that we need to be ready at every time, at all times, to give a defense for what we believe. There is a need for us to be thinking Christians. We can't be afraid of these questions. We can't be afraid of things like, the Big Bang, and all that stuff. We need to lean into that stuff because God is bigger. God is the most intelligent being ever. He's not afraid of questions. I think I said this in a teaching recently, but I once had a pastor tell me, don't ask God why. I thought that is just wrong. God is, he talks about Wisdom, he actually personifies wisdom. If you read some of the poetic writings from the Old Testament, wisdom is personified as someone to chase after as a believer in God. So being a thinking person is not the opposite of being a person of faith. They should be together. Our thinking should reinforce our faith and our faith should reinforce our thinking. And if you're, if you're an atheist or an agnostic or you have questions, you're not sure, you're not ready to take that leap, I totally get it. I hope that these are just, like, one step. Like, I'm not saying, wow, after that half an hour, I am in. Right? I don't think that's happening for anybody today. But I just hope it's, like, would you be willing to take a step to think about this more, to read that book, to meet with me? We can read other books together, too. You know, like Dr. Seuss or something easier. Right? We can just enjoy hanging out, coffee. But just challenge yourself. And listen, I think the next question, if you decide, yeah, I think God might exist, is, Okay, well, can I know him? And that's the perfect opportunity for me to plug the Alpha Series again. Next week, you should stay after church and watch these videos. They are awesome. They, I've watched them several times with the youth group. They are one of those things where you watch and you're like, oh, that's why I believe that. <laughs> it's like, okay, it makes sense to me now. Seriously, I'm, I'm not overplaying it. You should, you should stay. And there's free pizza, so why not, right? And Jonathan. I mean, that's exciting. Okay. All right. <laughs> Who's coming back next week? Show of hands. All right, good. Whew. I'm glad I have another six days to prepare. Holy cow. Um, so we're not going to do a response song, and we kind of knew that was going to happen. This is a lot of information to cover. You know, uh, the problem of science next week, that'll be way easier. Just kidding. Um, I really hope that you come back. I hope that you bring your friends. I hope that you can start to see that this is part of who we are. This is part of our culture here, um, that we want to have room for people who think. And, and I'm so just excited and encouraged as we think about how big our God is. Like We don't need to put God in a box, and we don't even need to be able to explain everything about him. In fact, that makes him more, uh, more able to be worshiped because he's so much bigger and grander and beyond than I think we ever have thought before. So can we stand together? I want to just pray for you, and then we're going to close. Good job, guys. You were phenomenal, a phenomenal class. I feel like we were in college today. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for not making me a a teacher. (laughs) I don't think I could have done it. Um, all right, so I want to pray for you guys, and then we'll close. So Jesus, thank you for your, um, how you are leading us each individually in the journey of faith to get closer to you. God, thank you that you love us, that you are um, that you are that person who came before, that you are the uncaused causer, that you started this all, and that from you flows beauty and relationships and love and and nature and so many things that we take for granted. But God, it all came from your heart. From your heart of love for us, God, and we want to worship you because of that. Listen, we do this every week, so if you could just keep your eyes closed for a second. We always give an opportunity for people to respond as God is moving in our hearts and and tugging on our hearts. If you are here today and you are saying, I need to make a commitment to Jesus. I, I never have made a commitment or I need to recommit because, man, I've just been walking away for a long time. I'm just going to pray a prayer that you can repeat after me. In your heart, you don't have to pray it out loud. Everyone else, just keep your eyes closed out of respect. So I'm just going to pray this prayer. Just pray it with me if you'd like to. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died and rose again for my sins. I believe that your forgiveness and salvation is a free gift that I cannot earn. I ask for you to forgive me and give leadership to my life. Amen. Listen, keep your eyes closed for just a second. Please, if you prayed that prayer, um, would you mind just raising your hand so that I can connect with you afterwards? If you raised your hand, what we'd love for you to do is just take a newcomer card on your way out, just fill it out, and right on the bottom, I raised my hand. I'm going to email you tomorrow with some resources. So, Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for each of us. We pray that you would continue to move in our hearts. Amen. Listen, as you walk out, make sure you stop by the small group stuff. If you're not in a small group... Today is the day to sign up for a small group. Also stop by and talk to Paul and Cindy about Family Promise. And if you have a newcomer card, don't forget to hand it in so that we can give you your present. Thank you.